We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Vay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Happy birthday, Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, KD. You know, join up with Team USA. They'll give you a random birthday uh, shout out. But, Jack, we're going to talk about some free agent forwards today. We talked about guard centers, which you can find on all streaming plat- platforms. But, Jack, before we talk about the, uh, the forwards that the Nets are going to target, what do you think they should be looking at? at this position you know obviously it's a small forward power forward versatility whatever but just kind of at that forward slash wing spot what are you looking for everything that jeff green did for us this year nick you know yeah. I, I think that we saw the prototype of what can work next to kevin Durant, what can work next to Kyrie Irving, what can work next to james harden jeff green good defender really good three-point shooting this season i think it was a bit of an outlier but yeah. you know a good three-point shooting nonetheless can create a shot a little bit here and there you know off the dribble he's still got the pops athletically still really strong um you know you want a guy to sort of interchange with kd on defensive possessions guarding some of those superstar wings and and maybe even fires which jeff green did uh, on regular occasions so if you're looking at the the skill set of a of a player that you want to sort of fit into that rotation look no further than jeff green yeah, no, definitely. Like you said, the versatility is what really strikes, you know, the ability to do multiple things and also complement the best players in the team. Now, Jack, if you were looking more for like the the small forward or like the two, three, is there anything different that you'd be looking at skill set wise or still mostly versatility? I think if, if you're looking for it, Nick, it's it's probably you would lean more towards just defense or three point shooting. Yeah, three and provide a yeah, three and D provide a bit of space for, for Kai and, and James and, and Kevin in that sort of respect. And, you know, a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hand a heap would. And I think that a lot of the names that probably at that small four position that, you know, we looked at the, the hoops hype sort of list of free agents. A lot of those guys, you know, unless you're Kawhi Leonard, you know, generally do have the ability to do that. You know, a lot of them are older. They sort of know, you know, how to be successful in this league having been there uh, and done that. So I think that... With, I prefer someone who's got a little bit of defensive versatility, but at the same time, we've sort of seen the Nets this season, you know, be able to turn it on a little bit defensively when they need to. Someone that just has a somewhat above average, you know, skill, whether that's shooting, yep. whether that's, I don't know, maybe playmaking. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I think the shooting or, or defense would be ideal. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I also think it's important for this position, too, for the Nets to add depth. You know, like you mentioned, they had Jeff Green, but there really wasn't many options after that. Obviously, you have the superstar in Kevin Durant, but then really the next closest forward you had was, you know, like TLC and Alice A. Johnson. You know, you're looking to get someone with a little bit more experience, especially when you go against some of those bigger teams in the postseason. TLC is ready to pop off in Tokyo, ladies and gents. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens there. But Jack, obviously, we know the Nets are extremely limited in what they can do in the offseason in terms of money spending. Uh, they have the taxpayer mid-level exception, essentially uh, veteran minimums in which they can throw out. Obviously, they can make trades, too. Do you think the forward position is where they should spend that taxpayer mid-level exception on Jeff Green or either on another forward? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think that if you can get Jeff Green for the taxpayer mid-level exception, given what he did this season... I don't necessarily expect him to drop off a cliff next season. I think that you, you're absolutely winning, and it's a, an absolute home run if you're Sean Marks and, and Joseph Sy. So I think that that has to be priority number one. You know, If you lose Jeff Green, if you lose Spencer Dinwiddie, then there's going to be a little bit of a weakness. That, I mean, we didn't have Spencer Dinwiddie this season, and we were able to sort of make do with you know Mike James, Tyler Johnson, Chris Chioza. Whereas without Jeff Green, we sort of saw in the postseason – how much his absence was felt. Yeah, Bruce yep. is able to play a little bit up and 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 you know be bigger than himself, but it just leaves you with a, a, a weakness and, and shallowness in that rotation. So it, it, I think that wing is probably more important because we sort of saw it for a regular length through the regular season as well as through most of the postseason until you know Jeff's foot started playing up a little bit. Whereas the Nets dealt without Spencer Dinwiddie, and I think that. You can almost deal without Spencer Dinwiddie because the Nets already have two superstar guards and yep. they sort of cancel each other out in their own depth. But both of them, you know, we know is injury prone, doesn't necessarily play 82 games this season. And now James Harden's hamstrings and now he's in his early 30s as well. So you want to have someone at least decent enough and, and replaceable there in the rotation. But I think you want to have a greater strength in terms of your depth uh, in a wing, especially if Jeff Green is lost. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think, like you said, I think you just simply look at it from Kyrie Irving and James Harden collecting most of those minutes at the guard position. Like, regardless, if you go in the postseason, both those guys are probably playing 40 minutes. And then, obviously, you have Kevin Durant for one of the forward spots. But then, also, you want to have the option to have the versatility of, you know, playing him at maybe small ball five, playing him at the three, playing him at the four. So, that's why you have the depth, then you have the options. So, I also think, like, another important part to this position that we didn't mention before would be if they can add another closing option. Even if they do bring Jeff Green back, just somebody who's comfortable and a veteran that you could put out there in a playoff game, maybe not even close it, but just be like, all right, they can play 20 minutes in this game and I'm not going to feel terrible. Like you said, you know, Jeff Green being hurt was crucial. Like obviously Kyrie and James Harden being hurt was even bigger, but even just missing Jeff Green, a fully healthy Jeff Green, they might win game seven. Yeah, because like it was him and KD, you know, throughout yep. uh, you know postseason games, and you know Jeff Green's twenty nine points, I think it was, yep. um, in, in one of the matches. He hit a million post- threes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he was just absolutely flamethrower. So I think that if you lose Jeff Green, you know, you lose you know a, a pretty significant piece in your playoff rotation. If you keep him, then you have at least a little bit of a luxury, and maybe you, know, you get a guy like an Otto Porter Jr. or whatever, and you know he's a, a little bit better than Joe Harris in the postseason or whatever. Then you have got that flexibility, which the yeah. Nets didn't really have and not a lot of superstar teams do have because when you're superstar heavy you know you're filling out the rest of the roster generally with like vet minimums and whatever mid-level exception that you've got left so i will also say i guess going back to the the guard slash win conversation i think you just want talent as well nick you know you just want the best player available so like if you can get i don't know patty mills versus i don't know trevor ariza then give me patty mills 
Whereas yeah. maybe Trevor Ariza is a, a better fit and you could put him out there and, you know, he could be PJ Tucker light. Paddy Hills can win you a playoff game. You know, yep. and he can go hot from three and, and maybe might not be able to play in, in the postseason or whatever. And maybe that's not the best comparison. And maybe it's because I just saw him lead out <laughs> my country uh, last night in the opening ceremony and got a bit of a tear in my eye. And you know, the Paddy Mills train is continuing to run hot on the Brooklyn buzz. But I think you still just, you prioritize talent. And I think that yep. that is what Kevin Durant does. I think that's what Sean Marks has always done anyway. Best player available wherever it is, free agency, draft, etc. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. But I also think, like, at some point, too, you just got to worry about depth. Like, I think with the taxpayer mid-level exception, like you're saying, you go for the talent, but then you need to focus your veteran minimums. Obviously, you have unlimited amounts of those. But you need to focus on, like, okay, we still need to make sure we have some size because, you know, Milwaukee is a team that we're going to see again. You know, Philadelphia is a relatively big team. So there are some other options. Like you said, I think it leads to that word that you mentioned, flexibility. And that's what the Nets kind of lacked. Some of that was due to injuries, but some of that was just due to, you know, we made a trade for James Harden midseason and we weren't able to necessarily add all the pieces we wanted. Yeah, I mean, we don't want a 2020 bubble situation where it's about 18 shooting guards on the roster. Yep. With yeah, no yeah. wings, no wings at all. It's just like, you know, Jamal Crawford, Karis Trishios, <laughs> and then, yeah, Jared Allen's there as well. He's going to be our power forward slash center. Yeah, no worries, Jared. Do everything. But, Jack, I guess getting to some of the players the Nets could target, who are you looking at? Obviously, this could be taxpayer mid-level exception or this could be veteran minimum. So there's a little bit more flexibility than some of the other discussions we've had about players. Yeah, I mean, and this is probably the list where I have the most names. Outside of Jeff Green, who has <clears throat> had the, a pretty intense discussion about it and is, for me, still priority number one, uh, despite all of these names here. Obviously, if you can get maybe one or two of them, it replaces the need for just having Jeff. But well, uh, guy, Jeff to take the minimum, which is not yeah, out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. No, it's not. It depends, I guess, what the outside market is willing to give him him to. But uh, a name that I'll throw in there, Nick, is uh, Nicholas Batum. You know, yep. Obviously, he showed what he could do in this postseason for the Los Angeles Clippers. And if anything, was underutilized uh, at times by Ty Lue. And I think some of that might have been actually for health purposes. I don't think he had the the runs or reps in the legs to be able to go, you know, Jeff Green and play 35 minutes a night. Uh, but when he was out there, you're playing small ball five um, a lot of the time. You know, when Avika Zubac was off the floor or Marcus Morris was on the floor, they were sort of interchangeable yep. uh, in that front court. He was super. And, you know, he had games where you know, his defense, his three-point shooting, his reliability. Um, look, we don't necessarily have the biggest uh, love of Frenchmen currently on the, the Brooklyn Nets, but if we replace uh, one Frenchman with a more experienced and reliable one, I'm taking Batum every day. And I think Nets, <clears throat> Nets Twitter was in love with him and salivating after him and sort of like, you know, what we could have had um, in, in throughout the regular season. And it was just like, I think like, the OTG at OTG basketball Twitter page did a random tweet of just like Nicholas Batum hitting a massive clutch three in the regular season and Nets fans were just getting all salty in the replies. I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel that way as well. It's just like, you want what you, you could have had and we could have had Batum, but uh, yeah. ultimately Jeff Green, I think was still a better, more serviceable player as well. Yeah, honestly, though, they both could have worked, especially given the injuries and after the trade. I think, you know, in hindsight, if Batum knew that the Nets were going to trade for James Harden and that would open up playing time for him, I think he would have maybe considered Brooklyn a little bit more because I think that was one of the bigger reasons why he went to L.A. Is they were going to give him that time, and he really performed well. Like, even, you know, I thought he would, you know, kind of bounce back with a winning team, but he really bounced back to another level. And like you said, you know, if you did lose Jeff Green, this would be a guy you'd want to replace him when he's not as big 
but he still provides a lot of that versatility. And he just has a lot of different skills, like you said. You know, solid rebounder, solid defender, can knock down a three, can play make a little bit, can knock down, a, you know, a little bit of scoring for you. So just kind of that complementary role player that you kind of love to have on championship teams. Yeah, Giannis is only a little bit better than him, even though the player <laughs> comps, uh, you know, we heard those little, oh, Jason Kidd, man, get that good. Yeah. Thank God we don't have, we're not talking about Jason Kidd as our head coach, and good luck, Dallas. Yeah, I mean, that was close to that happening again. But um, moving on to another name, you kind of hinted at him earlier, Otto Porter. You know, obviously he's had his connections to the Nets, could be a guy that they add in terms adding that three-point shooting, add some good defense. But the real problem with him is he cannot stay on the court. Yeah, I wonder if, like Tyler Johnson's mom, Otto Porter Jr.'s mom is a, a big fan of Sean Marks. Would not be surprised whatsoever. Yeah, but maybe the whole family. Help. <laughs> yeah, look, he got a, a very nice contract from the Washington Wizards, and I know my boy Nick Busick isn't necessarily happy about that in hindsight. Yeah, the health thing is the, the number one thing at the end of the day, Nick, and that's that could benefit the, the Nets in, in a realm where it's just like, you know, they get him on a vet minimum, yep. but also, you know, you don't want to have your roster taken up by guys who can't play minutes. Yep. We saw that with DeAndre Jordan this season, you know, in you know from game 60 onwards throughout the postseason where it was just like, we're a guy making $10 million who is doing nothing for us. Yeah. Now, is Otto Porter Jr. going to be that? How serviceable, reliable can he be? I think that ultimately on a vet minimum, you're taking flyers anyway. You, you know, yep. You're not necessarily going to get Jeff Green. <laughs> uh, yeah. We were incredibly, incredibly likely as Nets fans and Sean Marks was incredibly fortuitous to get the the amount of productivity out of a vet minimum that Jeff Green did give us and even Blake Griffin in that regard as well. Yep. Both of those guys, quality rotation dudes. You know, Blake Griffin maybe the best Giannis defender since, I don't know, Al Horford. <laughs> um, but in, in saying that, I, I think that the, 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 the prototype of player we're talking about is Otto Porter Jr. And, you know, he's... His age isn't, he's not over the hill. He's not one of these guys like 35, 36, 37. Like, yeah, like he's in his late 20s. So yeah. it's going to be about, you know, what the medicals are. And maybe in a Brooklyn Nets situation, you know, the how he is used, the way the Nets cater, you know, and, and sort of tailor, you know, the, the, the player's needs to what, you know, you, they can give us. It's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all thing. It's like, okay, Katie, we know we need to rest you occasionally here and there. Kai, you know, you can do your thing. James wants to play whenever the hell he wants. Joe's going to be reliable as hell. Clax will ramp up your minutes a little bit, you know, from 15 to 25 and get you sort of your yep. legs under you. I think that the way that the Nets medical and training staff do that, that could leave you with a, an era, a, a mindset of positivity towards if Otto Porter Jr. was to come to Brooklyn. Uh, but at the same time, you can't necessarily change a guy's body. Yeah, 100%. And obviously last year between the the Bulls and the Magic, he played 28 games. You know, the year before that between Washington and Chicago, it was 56 games. So it's just like there is definitely some concern. And oh, so there's another year in between where he only played 14 games. So, you know, he hasn't even logged 100 NBA games in the last three seasons. Somewhat concerning. But like you said, if you get him for a veteran minimum, this is a type of guy you want to take a flyer on because – all of a sudden, he works with Nets medical staff, stays healthy, averages 10 points a game, and gives you just another option to have. Because when healthy, he's a solid player. And the last season he had in Chicago where he was actually healthy, with the season where he was like half-traded, um, he was starting to run pick and roll a little bit, do a little playmaking, a little bit of scoring. And after the injury, we just really didn't see that. Obviously, it's hard to be consistent when you're hurt. So that's the major question mark for this guy. Yeah, 28 years old is literally your prime. 
that's yeah. when NBA players, you know, are winning championships, and, and you know, it was when LeBron's winning his championships, Katie's winning his championships. All these guys, you know, late twenties, mid to late twenties is when you sort of are in your physical and athletic prime. And maybe we look at Otto Porter Jr. as like not a twenty-eight year old, but like a, a twenty-eight year old in a thirty-two year old body. Yep. I don't know, you know, how the the mindset needs to change for him, but. If we're talking about vet minimum sort of upsides, there is a huge upside to what Otto Porter Jr. can do because, you know, if he's... We saw Kevin Durant come back from a goddamn Achilles injury and obviously Kevin Durant is a different kettle of fish and I'm not putting them in the same sentence. But at the same time, you know, if you're short of going, okay, with this Otto Porter Jr. over here, there's Michael Kidd-Gilchrist over here. You know, who am I going to take? Well, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist might have a, a better health and, and injury history, but... Otto Porter Jr. gives you a level of, okay, this guy might be able to actually play playoff minutes for us. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a, and, and obviously, I think that if you do end up getting um, Otto Porter Jr. and you're lucky enough to get him on a vet minimum, um, I think you want to get another wing as well at the same time. Like if, if the Nets retain Jeff Green, get Otto Porter Jr. as well. I, I think that's an ideal. But if you lose Jeff Green and Otto Porter Jr. is your, facsimile replacement yep. you need something else because it's just like you just listed off the amount of games there nick it, it feels like i've played more nba games than Otto Porter <laughs> has in the past 24 months yeah he's one of those guys where you literally are like wow i haven't seen him play in a while like you know what i mean like you watch you don't obviously i don't watch every single nba game but i watch a good amount and it's just like certain players you just kind of almost forget about them because they're hardly on the court like you said i think it'd be important to kind of safeguard yourself because of those injuries but obviously he could kind of pop off jack who's another name you're looking at I pulled Millsap Nick. Now, yep. another guy who was rumored. Uh, we'll probably bring I up a lot of guys. I him on our center list, to be honest. Yeah, look, power forward center. He was listed as power forward on yeah. Hoops Hype, so blame Hoops Hype for, for whatever No, reason. no, I'm just saying, like, transitioning forward, I think small ball five is maybe better for him because he's so, you know, he's lost a step. But I, I agree, he could play some four still. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing him and KD together, you know, I, yeah. I think that those guys are interchangeable. Even him and Jeff Green together in, in backup yeah. units, I think, would yeah. be pretty good and serviceable at the same time. But it's going to be about, look, we, it's, we're not going to get Paul Millsap from the 2020 bubble. I think he's he is like one of the guys that, unlike Jeff Green, is starting to wane yeah. in his productivity, in his reliability. But in a niche sort of role, could actually give you something. And, and, and I think that there's a reliability in terms of, you know, if you throw him out for 10 minutes in, in a playoff game, I'd be like, I don't think Paul Millsap is going to make a heap of mistakes. I yep. think he's going to be serviceable enough. He'll rebound the ball. He'll be strong. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, like, you know, he's going to stop Giannis or whatever, but I think he'd be okay on Giannis. I think he's got the skill set, the strength, the the low center of gravity in a similar sort of way to what Blake Griffin is. It's almost like a, a Giannis matchup on, on Paul Millsap would be okay. I think Paul Millsap guarding a Joel Embiid almost, almost gives you a little bit of flexibility there too. So I think in terms of... Like, maybe he plays a role of what sort of P.J. Tucker did for the Milwaukee Bucks. Doesn't really give you anything offensively, but I think Paul Millsap actually has a little bit more in his offensive bag than I think that P.J. Tucker has. Whereas P.J. Tucker, I think, is just better at guarding those you know, prototypical wings. So may, I'm, I'm not out on the, the Paul Millsap experience at this point in time. Yeah, I think he'd be a good veteran to have. I think, like you kind of hinted at, he's starting to look a little bit washed. Obviously, he's about to be 36 this season. But as a guy to have as a reserve, I'm not sure I'd want him in my playoff rotation, but he'd be a guy that at least you have the flexibility to have. Like you said, I think he'd be great for Giannis. The real thing that's hard with Paul Millsap is, like, I just think about him playing, you know, the four or the five. is like he can't really switch anymore, but his drop coverage obviously isn't great because he's not that long a player. So it's just like... 
he's kind of matchup specific to an extent, but that's fine if you're getting him at the veteran minimum and he understands that role, which I wouldn't rule out because I don't think he's won a championship. Yeah, he has not. He's come close, you know, with a couple teams, but hasn't got to the pinnacle. So, yeah, I think he could be what to what the Warriors had with David West. You know, Paul Millsap could be to what with the Brooklyn Nets. This is just the the immediate comparison comes to mind. I'm not sure how apt and, and accurate it is, but I sort of just get that sort of thing where it's just like David West. You know, can get you a bucket from the mid range here and there. Big, strong, burly dude. Really good locker room presence. You know, coaches love him. The players love him. I could see Paul Millsap giving that to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I mean, he can knock down the three ball. It's not like he shoots a ton of them, but he's a career 34% from three. You know, a year ago, two years ago, he shot 43% from three. So it's like... He, he's good in the post as well. You know, Yeah, he's, he's got a little touch. Yeah, he's not necessarily like LaMarcus Aldridge, but maybe like a, a B-plus level of LaMarcus Aldridge. So yeah. like you sort of look at what the Nets have with LaMarcus Aldridge. Maybe you get a similarity again with sort of Paul Millsap. I think... LaMarcus Aldridge's size probably gives him yeah. a, a little bit more of a, a tick than Paul Millsap, who's probably small ball five, whereas LaMarcus Aldridge is a legitimate five, as much as probably he doesn't want to necessarily hear that, um, yeah. given you know he was one of the best sort of fours um, uh, in San Antonio and Portland. But yeah, I, I think that but Paul Millsap isn't... The, the names that we have on this list, You know, I think at the end, Nick, I'll, I'll, I want to ask you a question, you know, which of these guys has the best chance to be reliable in a playoff matchup? But I think we go through the names first, but... Are there anyone else that sort of sticks out at the, the uh, that would could be uh, have a shot at that maybe? Um, I mean, I think you know you look at you mentioned Trevor Reza. I'm not sure he's a guy you'd want in your playoff rotation, but he'd be another guy that has flexibility, has experience, someone you could throw out there and be like, okay, like you said with Millsap, you know, ten minutes. I feel okay with him playing ten minutes. I don't, I don't want to be the Miami Heat and depend on him like they had to this postseason. But if I have him as an option, like I think Trevor Reza would be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, he was okay in Miami. You know, he had some some moments here or there. It's a, you know, what's his story ball like? I think yep. that that hasn't necessarily deserted him. But I think that in a Mike D'Antoni situation, you know, Trevor Arese is playing under Mike D'Antoni. You know, you see players have a bit more confidence. They let it fly. You know, I don't think that they, they're afraid of, of missing it. You know, when you've got Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash, I think that their offense, you know, liberates players in a certain yep. sense. So I think defensively, we don't have a lot to worry about with Trevor Arese. I think, you know, he's, quite reliable and serviceable there championship level experience as well you know been around the wings you know if you you give me trevor reza uh, I, I probably you know there's a, a world where you know he is more reliable more productive than a um a paul Millsap, to be honest and you know he's a, a better as like a sort of wing dude and in a finals matchup you know maybe paul Millsap is better on Giannis in the eastern conference finals but in the western in, in the national nba finals against a, a lebron james i think trevor reese is probably better so you know they've they're both got their pluses they've both got their negatives yeah 100 percent. i mean another name i guess i was looking at obviously you kind of hint at him i think it's probably unlikely at this point would be pj tucker you know he has the relationship with kevin durant but given the bucks just won a championship i feel like he'll resign yeah, Wanda loves him as well. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's always a good sign. And look, I, I think that uh, the Milwaukee beers tasting pretty goddamn good right now for PJ yeah. Tucker. And um, he's getting a little boozy uh, out there in, in Wisconsin. So I think that it's it's normally when a championship does happen, you know, they always do run it back unless you're, you know, you're Jerry Krause or whatever. So <laughs> I think that it's, it's more than likely that we see PJ Tucker in Milwaukee again. But it, it was interesting because I think that initially before the in last year's preseason, last year's free agency, you know, his priority, I think, was to get a, a, some, a semblance of a payday. 
Yeah. Whereas at this point in time, I don't think that that is priority number one. And maybe it still is. I think but... it'll be easier with the Bucks because they'll have his bird right. So they can give him a better deal than what probably the market would. Yeah. And look, I don't ultimately, you know, he, I think that the, he's a louder defender than he is a productive defender. Yeah. You know, he's, I, I, I think I made this comparison on, on a, one of our post games. You know, he's, he's Pat Beverly at the forward position sometimes. I think yeah. that he is a bit, smarter yep. than, than Pat Beverly is. Um, and he certainly did make life tough for Kevin Durant in certain matchups. But Kevin Durant also had like, you know, 50-40-90 in the postseason and yep. you know, had some of the best performances that we've ever seen um, yep. in, in a Brooklyn Nets uniform or in any uniform for that matter. So, look, if the, if we see PJ Tucker again in, in next year's postseason, next year's regular season, we're going to have some fun things to talk about. Yeah, I think, and like you kind of hinted at, Jack, I think there would probably be a slight decline for him. Like, obviously, he's not the same defender he was in Houston when him and Harden were making those runs, and I think he'd be good for the Nets for, like, Giannis. And the reason he works on KD to an extent is because KD's game isn't super athletic-based. It's a lot of skill-based, a lot of post stuff like that. So I think it allowed Tucker to have more of an impact than maybe he would against, you know, some some different superstars in this league. But, Jack, any other do, names you're I looking do, at? Oh. With P.J. Tucker as well, Nick, I do also think that if the Nets had Harden and or Irving healthy, it makes him less effective yep. because in, in if, the Bucks, yeah, if the Bucks are going to continue to switch and he gets switched onto a guard, you know, Devin Booker cooked him pretty relentlessly. Yep. You know, Chris Paul was able to get under him. He doesn't have the lateral quickness as you sort of alluded to as well. So if you have one of your superstar guys healthy, get the switch onto PJ Tucker, cook him and just drive to the rim against him. I don't think he has that. You know, I mean, he's got enough, you know, great quality NBA basketball shoes, but uh, I don't think that they can necessarily help his lateral quickness. But yeah. Yeah. I agree, and I think that's where you look at it, too, in the net scheme. It's like, okay, now is he chasing a defender, trying to go over screens, and everyone else is switching? Kind of complicates things. Obviously, you worry about that in training camp and other things, and that's Steve Nash's problem. If you love listening to the Brooklyn Buzz, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, e-learning courses full of tips and tricks, and on top of that, we'll help you get your show on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you get it all for $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen, talk to us about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in the episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. But uh, another guy would be um, Tory Craig from the Suns, but I feels like he's another guy that's probably going to be back with the Suns, just given the situation and it worked out and I don't think his market's going to be crazy. So why would he leave? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was, he's got, he's got, he's got a ring now, doesn't he? Cause like, he was technically, yeah, uh, he, he did. He did. Yeah. I think he was the guy that was the win-win situation. He got a ring regardless. Yeah. It's the sort of, uh, Anderson Verigeau experience, um, yeah. for, uh, for Tory Craig. So look, I, I, I similarly to Nicholas Batum, I was quite high on Tory Craig, you know, around that sort of, you know, um, the sort of buyout market and such. I thought that he would be the prime A candidate in, in my eyes, you know, him and you know, Dwayne Dedman, I was probably all in on. And ultimately what he showed for the Phoenix Suns was that he's still got something there. Yep. And he's the sort of guy that's like the beyond box score dude. Yep. You know, he could put up nothing. He could put up a Tony Snell line, but still have a massive impact on the game. And that's where I think that Tory Craig is almost a, a, a pretty great fit in Brooklyn. And, why I was so high on him, I, th- I think he's he plays above his position. He can also play below his. I think his defensive versatility might be the best out of the the forwards that are available on the market right now. You know, obviously he's still you know in his twenties and yep. he's still got his his, his prime athleticism um, and his, his his good days are, are far but far, aren't far from behind him. Um, so I, I'm I'm really really high on Tory Craig, but yeah, the likelihood. I guess Nick, who do you think's more likely out of Tory Craig and PJ Tucker? To be a Brooklyn that obviously PJ Tucker has the Kevin Durant connection and you know Tory Craig doesn't really have any connection to Brooklyn, I guess. I mean, they just lost, so I'll just go with the Suns. You know what I mean? I think it's hard to leave a winning situation, especially if you're gonna quote unquote run it back and have an opportunity to maybe win another championship. And where I think for if you're Tory Craig and you're looking at the Suns, are you like, are you sure they're gonna get back there? Does Kevin Durant call me and kind of recruit me? Is that something that could happen? And just another thing on Torrey Craig is he kind of has like a little bit of Bruce Brown to his game. You know, there's some similarities in terms of just like those hustle, gritty plays, you know, playing bigger than their size and just kind of being annoying, but in like a good way, not like a Patrick Beverly way, but just like a toughness way where it's just like, okay, yeah, you thought you had a free rebound. Nope. Yeah, I, I think that Craig, uh, I can imagine the the Torrey Craig experience would be a, a lot of fun if you were to come to Brooklyn, which is why. Yeah. You know, I was so high I mean, on him in the first place. Another guy I think is a possibility that would come at like a cheap deal. I wouldn't want them to spend money on him, but I could see him chasing a ring, and that'd be Rudy Gay. Yeah, Rudy Gay was probably, you know, out of the guys we've sort of spoken about, Nick, I think that he almost provides you a level of, of service and, and, and productivity that I think is probably as good as any of the others, as these other guys, especially offensively. Yep. You know, that mid-range shot is... I don't think he's ever going to fade away from him. It's it's the shot that, you know, last... I'm, I'm sure Michael Jordan can still hit, like, you know, the, the mid-range elbow jump, uh, and Chris Paul's going to be hitting it, you know, until he's, you know, in the goddamn grave. But uh, I think that... And Rudy Gay showed in San Antonio when, 
you know, Pop was sort of showing a little bit more flexibility and a bit more experimentation. He played five. Like, yes. he, he played above his position. You know, he was, like, legitimately a three. Like, he, he was only a three. And then as his career continued to span, and he, you know, was good enough at it. You know, he is a, a, a good rebounder, a decent enough three-point shooter. I think that out of all these guys, Nick, there's the flaws in his game, while they might be, like, pronounced for, like, a PJ Tucker in terms of his lack of offense, you know, there obviously is flaws in, in Rudy Gay's in game and all of these guys' game, for, for that matter. But I think that the flaws are the, you know, the least pronounced, maybe, out of the, a lot of these wings that are available. Yeah, I think the biggest flaw with Rudy Gay is probably the defense. And I think you look at it in a championship situation, you say to yourself, okay, is he going to put in that extra level of effort, you know, considering his role is going to change? And then I think offensively, there's been at times, you know, question marks with the efficiency and the shot selection. But again, in the situation with the Nets, could he be the best version of himself in terms of just being that complimentary role player? Obviously, this guy was, you know, a fringe all-star at one point, but... I think with the Nets, he could kind of just find that right rhythm for himself. And that could be, you know, big. And I think it's realistic just because he hasn't won a championship and he's had such a long career. This is a guy who's been playing since he's 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, we could get essentially what Jeff Green, you know, the all question marks you just listed about, you know, Rudy Gay were listed on Jeff Green and, you know, his yep. entire career you know, in, in every other team that he's played for. Yeah. So I you could essentially get, you know, a, a facsimile of Jeff Green uh, with Rudy Gay. And if Jeff Green were to leave or depart in, in some form or fashion, Rudy Gay would probably be pretty high on the list as, as a replacement, just given, you know, what the he size. does, his skill set, yep. the size, um, the interchangeability, the, the ability to uh, be in the playoff rotation, um, and just a, a lot of the things that Jeff Green does, Rudy Gay can do, and maybe we see a, a better version of it in Brooklyn as well. Jack, if you had the option to have Nick Batum and Rudy Gay or Jeff Green and Trevor Reza, what would you roll with? Um, Nick Batum and Rudy, Rudy Gay. Gay. Yeah, Both of those guys. I, I, don't, I don't think Trevor Reza is... You know, I, I think that he is... You know, Paul Millsap sort of yep. on the verge of being washed. You know, the, the rim yep. cycle is it's pretty close there in the dishwasher, washing machine or whatever the other washing equipment that you've got there at home. Whereas I think that there is a, a season or two at, at the at the very least, especially with Rudy Gay. I think that Rudy Gay is going to age relatively gracefully in this league. Uh, and Batum has shown us a level of revitalization that sort of goes in, in a in, in a small role he can continue to produce because in the postseason you know he was he wasn't getting you know thirty plus minutes a night there was occasions where he was but you know even in the the twenty minutes that he was out there that's the best version of the Clippers in a lot of respects the best lineup that they did have so I think that both of those guys provide a level of you know versatility and interchangeability. Whereas with you'll be relying a lot more heavily on Jeff Green, but at the same time we essentially did get that. And is Trevor Reza, if Trevor Reza is just your sort of Jeff Green insurance, then I think that Jeff Green is probably the best player out of these four. Um, yep. we've seen that. He also has great chemistry with the current roster, Kevin Durant, uh, the rest of the guys, the leadership that he's shown in this locker room uh, this season. I think you lose a lot of that, those intangibles, um, if you were to you know, go a, a different direction. Whereas I think Batum is a bit of a background dude. Rudy Gay seems to be not necessarily a vocal leader, but more of a sort of like, you know, a fit in, in place sort of guy. So I think that that's something that you lose uh, if you do lose a, a Jeff Green, which I think, you know, when you're looking at these vet minimum sort of dudes and guys that fill out the roster, I think that is pretty important. 
Yeah, especially I think, you know, the Nets have a better idea about their locker room than we do. You know, how important is Jeff Green? He could be crucial and it could be like mandatory that they re-sign him. Or it could be like, you know, maybe there's another guy on the market or maybe bringing back, you know, a guy we discussed like a Garrett Temple on a vet minimum to help, you know, fill in some of that locker room spot, but not as much on the on the court stuff. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've mentioned this plenty of times, you know, after that Detroit Pistons loss, yep. you know, the the big voice in terms of, you know, getting the, the defense locked in was Jeff Green, you know, post-game in the locker room and such. So uh, I think it we've seen how important Jeff Green was to this team, you know, in terms of forming their identity on both ends of the floor. Um, and to lose him, I think, would be a, a pretty massive loss. But there are at least a few names out there. That, that's why that part of me is like, you almost need maybe two decent enough guys to replace Jeff Green because it's not just the on-court product. It's the off-court stuff. It's the the chemistry. It's the um, the ability to communicate and um, all those little things that I think that Jeff Green gives you that you know, probably when you sort of just find a feeling guy and, and just a vet minimum dude, you don't really get those sort of character guys to the level of Jeff Green. Those guys aren't necessarily a dime a dozen. Yeah, Jared Temple is that, uh, and we had, did discuss him. So maybe you do need to replace that, or maybe those things aren't necessarily a priority for Sean Marks, Steve Nash, and the rest of the Nets organization. Yeah, and obviously I think you look at the relationship too with Kevin Durant and James Harden, how much does that play a role? Obviously the Nets have tried to make Kevin Durant as happy as possible and done things that, you know, he's liked. So that could kind of lean towards Jeff Green being back where then, you know, maybe all you do have is the veteran minimum or maybe somehow you convince uh, Jeff Green to get the veteran minimum. But I think there was a comment from him saying he was looking to make a little bit more money this time than just the veteran minimum. So that's where it's just going to kind of be a situation. Who do you think is going to have the biggest impact in improving this team and the other factors, like you said, with chemistry, but Jack, any other names you're looking at? I got a few. Oh, more. look, I've, I've got some names, but before I do get to that one, Nick, I, the the thing that I'm like about Jeff Green in terms of getting the money, he's made over seventy million dollars in his career, so he, you know he's obviously hasn't had that big contract, you know, a four year eighty million dollar or, or something like that, or maybe he has, but I can't necessarily remember. He's had you know some contracts here or there, and you know he's been around the league long enough. I just think that it's it's going to be up to him what his priority list is going to be. You know, does he decide to go to like an Atlanta and get you know a, a higher level exception money or whatever? Because I, I make this comparison a lot of the time, and not all people are Spencer Dinwiddie, but Spencer Dinwiddie's pretty smart when it comes to sort of talking about you know the economics of the NBA. You know, the difference between like you know one and ten million dollars isn't a heap, but it's the difference between like ten and twenty and twenty and thirty. That's where the money starts to add up. So. I don't think that Jeff Green's going to be getting. What do you think is the max money that he would get on the open market? Nick? Is, is a team going to give him a, a mid-level exception? Because I can't necessarily see anything in the the eight figures. I think eight nine million dollars on a one or two year deal is the maximum amount he would get on on the market. Yeah, I think seven or eight on that one year deal would probably be the max. But you know, obviously, crazier things would happen, or maybe there might not be a market for him just because he's older and some people are unsure of how he fits. Obviously, there's some of his game kind of comes to life a little bit more with James Harden, you know, of running that small ball five. And not every team can do that. Every team doesn't have the luxury of having a Kevin Durant and these different players the Nets have. So one thing I wouldn't rule out from the Nets is, like, they sign him sign him back. I think they might have his early bird rights, or he's a, a veteran, so they can give him, like, some type of raise on his contract. Is so 120% like, or something like that? Yeah, 120%, and they could do that over the course of three years, and I think they could add a raise every single year, so maybe they could convince him to stay by giving him the longer contract with the money, and then obviously you're just kind of sucking it up later on, because it's not like he's... Everyone ages. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we look at the teams that are out there, and I guess sort of just thinking about, you know, the Lakers, would they love to have him? Yes, but I don't necessarily see Jeff Green going that down the path. The team that I could see him going to is maybe like a Golden State. You know, I think yeah. that, you know, they've got a, a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, and I think that, you know, he's probably got prior relationships with some of the guys there as well. Now, I don't necessarily know that, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he would fit in pretty nicely there. And, you know, the similar sort of vibe and situation to what Brooklyn is cultivating uh, right now. But, yeah, I, I think that Jeff Green still needs to be priority number one. Um, and, and if the Nets were to retain him and the rest of the offseason, you know, the Nets lose Jeff Brown and Spencer... Uh, Jeff Brown, <laughs> Bruce Brown, <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie um, and, and, and a heap of and, you know, other guys that are in the front rotation, you can sort of tip your hat to go, good, we got the guy that we know uh, can, can produce for us in the postseason. Jack, unprompted question, somewhat related to the topic. If you had the option to sign Jeff Green and Bruce Brown or re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie, which one are you doing? Spencer Dinwiddie's a better player. And that's a really tough one because you get, I guess, two bites at the apple when you got Jeff Green and Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown can get played off the... Bruce Brown's the, maybe the... Not the worst player because I think Bruce Brown has a higher like upside you know, on, on his day than, than Jeff, Jeff Green. But Jeff Green's serviceability and, and ability to be like, go, all right, we need you here. Get us a three. Play a bit of defense for us. Go in the starting lineup when some of these guys are injured. I think that situation matters more for Bruce Brown than it does for Jeff Green. Agreed. Because like, we've literally seen Jeff Green defend, defend freaking Bradley Beal and then see him defend Giannis. <laughs> like, yeah. And look, Bruce Brown have guarded Chris Middleton and had some you know possessions here and there on Giannis as well. So it's not to say that he can't, he doesn't show defensive versatility, but I think it's the offense where it's just like, get us a three ball, hit a mid-range jumper for us, hit something in the post where Bruce yep. Brown just, he needs to have some space. He needs, you know, the floater he needs to have, you know, a guy in the in the pick and roll um, and, and, and in the short roll or whatever. I, I think that, I, I honestly don't know, Nick. I, I would need some time to sort of think through it. And, and it's a cop-out answer to say that. I, I think Spencer did when he is the best player and... I, I, ultimately, you we, uh, maybe you just go back to our own conversation and just go, you just want the best, most talented player on the roster and you figure out the rest of it later. That's yep. Spencer Dinwiddie. And I think it's not to say that, you know, if you lose Bruce Brown, you know, and you've still got Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't think that's a big loss. But yeah. and, uh, and, and it, we know, I think, we don't know necessarily because we didn't see it, but uh, I think we could pretty competently, uh, confidently, sorry, sort of say that, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie could quite easily be a fifth man, fourth man out there in, in the rotation. Um, and you know, a guy that can get a bucket, a guy can attack off the um, off the closeouts and such. I, I guess I'll go Spencer Dinwiddie just because he is the best player and ultimately you want the best player on your roster. Yeah, and I think it also gives you more flexibility in terms of moving. You know what I mean? If you needed to move Spencer for another forward or some other role to get a better player, you could do that. Where I think with Jeff Green and Bruce Brown, like you said, I think you're taking somewhat of a chance with Jeff Green with his age and seeing maybe last year was somewhat of an outlier and he's going to have a lesser role. How is he going to play in that role? You know, I think you could take that in consideration. And Bruce Brown, like you said, is limited at different things and can kind of hamper the offense to an extent and make life harder for your superstars. And that's not exactly what you want. And Spencer could essentially do pretty much everything Bruce Brown can do except the rebounding and probably defending up as much i think spencer could defend up a little bit in the right situation but he's not going to have the same strength as bruce brown 
Yeah, I think the the point you made about the the sort of contract, if you want to offload them in some sort of fashion, you put Joe and Spencer together, you get a pretty tasty sort of deal in yeah, return. Yeah, you might even get an all-star or like, you, you know, fringe. Damian, Damian Lillard, you know, who knows? <laughs> just, let, let's just throw all the guards out there, the, all the, the three best guards in, in the NBA other than Steph Curry. But yeah, I think that that's a, a fair point to make as well. Obviously, we see Joe Sy spending his money left, right and center on property and, and everything else. So uh, he'd better pay goddamn Spencer Dimity. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems maybe a little bit more likely at this point, but who really knows? Uh, Jack, getting kind of back to some of the forwards, who else you got on your list? Uh, on my list, Nick, uh, a guy who I think is probably the least likely, but maybe the be- one of the better players on this list is Shamichael Green. I think we did yeah. see that he he was opt out of his player option of seven million dollars yeah, or something. It was like seven point so, six. So that like makes me think like uh, I don't think the Nets have the money unless they offer the taxpayer mid level exception. Yeah, exactly. And and I think maybe it, it could also be because I don't think he was utilized to the best extent in Denver, despite the fact that I, I really like his fit and I, I would love his fit um, on, on a Brooklyn Nets team. You know, he is. You know, he would play small ball five better than Jeff Green does. And Jeff Green yeah. played it pretty well. And I think that lessens the defensive load on a, on a Kevin Durant as well. Um, allows him to sort of just, you know, do his thing offensively and not necessarily have um, the, the burden on the defensive end. But Jermichael Green would be 1A on this list, but also he would he's probably the least likely, given what uh, other teams are probably likely to give him uh, in some form of contract. Yeah, and I think also with him, like, there's some question about the defense at times and some of that, like, not, like, being there fully in the game. Like you said, maybe some of that's Denver, but it feels like at times when he's on the court, you kind of forget he's out there type of thing. He's he's closer to a true big than Jeff Green is, so I think you lose some of that, like, defensive versatility. He can switch a touch, but not to the same high level that, you know, I don't want to say Jeff Green can do it at an extremely high level, but he can do it at a pretty good level from two to four, so and even five sometimes. So I think Jermichael Green, like you said, will probably be out of the Nets price range, which could end up being for the better because I don't, he's a player that I wouldn't want to overpay. He'd be a guy that I want to get on the cheap because I'm just, just not like super convinced that he's just like a consistent guy that you can have on a championship team if that makes sense not to say that he's not a good player but he's just not somebody i'd personally want to depend on yeah i mean probably in terms of dependability you know batum is probably a guy that you would sort of yep. go you know what you know we could probably rather give a, a three or four million dollars less to to a batum and and actually know that you know he's he's shown he can give us something in the postseason but i do also think that in 2020 um, he was underutilized by also, you know, Doc Rivers. I thought that, you know, the best version of yep. the Clippers, uh, that version of the Clippers, you know, featured Jermichael Green at the five and, you know, Marcus Morris at the four and and, and the rest, and PG and, and Kawhi at the two and the three. So uh, I think that the situation does matter and the Brooklyn Nets seem to find a way to get the most out of role players, you know, Exhibit A and B, Bruce Brown and, and Jeff Green, you know, yep. who, who would have thought that we'd see, you know, um, the seasons that we did from them. Um, so that's why... The whatever role play is acquired from a Brooklyn uh, fr- from a wing perspective, you can probably at least expect you know a, a level of bounce back or a level of 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 reliability. Given that, I think just the the coaching and the communication and and everything, the way that the Nets sort of just hone in the roles of their players um is top notch. Yeah, I think just like the extra playmaking, you know what I mean? Like everything is kind of set on a platter for you when you play with the Nets because of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and even Kevin Durant, you know, those guys are going to kind of set you up at different points. What else you got, Jack? I've got former Brooklyn Nets great, David Nwaba. My God. Yeah. How good would David Nwaba... Can you imagine David... I think 
Um, Justin brought this up on, on one of our previous pods. David Nuava and Bruce Brown out there together. Dear Lord, Nets Twitter would explode. And they'll erupt like Mount Vesuvius and Fuji and Kosciuszko and whatever had, whatever mountain it was in Pompeii that caused the goddamn apocalypse. I just think that it would be uh, incredible. Because I also do think that he played pretty goddamn well in Houston. Not goddamn well, but pretty well in Houston as well. And... You know, I think we all have pretty fond memories of, you know, David Nwaba and just the, the level of energy, you know, the, him just hitting the three balls and splashing them. Um, I, I The Nets could do worse than bringing back a former great. Yeah, I mean, I think also he's only 28. He bounced back from that Achilles injury nicely. And I think he was playing better basketball when the Rockets were actually trying to win games as well. You know, I think that always plays a role. Three-point shooting is, you know, has fluctuated shot well for the Nets, didn't shoot well for Houston last year. I think like David Nwaba makes sense, I guess, if you're looking at veteran minimums and guys to fill out the end of your bench. But his skill set does feel a little bit redundant with Bruce Brown being there. Like if the Nets lost Bruce Brown, I'd feel better about getting David Nwaba just because the idea of having two non-three-point shooters on the floor makes me a little sick at times just because, you know, the three-point shooting is so bad, the spacing is off, and it's two guys you can really help up. But he is a guy that just kind of does that complementary stuff. So... I wouldn't want him and Bruce Brown both in the rotation, but if he was Bruce Brown insurance, that would make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the the guys that are available, there aren't a, a huge amount of, you know, great three-point shoes. <laughs> yeah, great players, all three-point shoes in that regard. You know, Batum is okay. Millsap is okay. You know, Batum's good. Millsap is yeah. okay. Rudy Gay is okay. You know, I would say Rudy Gay is probably good. He shot 38% of like four attempts, shot like 40 the year before. So I, I like Rudy Gay's three-point shooting a little bit more. I think he's so improving Rudy, in that area. Yep, Rudy Gay is good. I don't. I think Ariza is closer to David Nwaba than he is to Rudy Gay. So yep. I think that like if you're picking those sort of dudes and you've got Trevor Ariza and you've got David Nwaba up against the wall and he can give either of them a vet minimum, give me David Nwaba, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make that argument. I think Nawab is a better defender at this point in time, and he provides some of those like intangible things, like you kind of mentioned um, with uh, who are we talking about? Um, Tory Craig with Tory Craig. You know what I mean? Just kind of and gives you some of that physicality that you miss sometimes with some of your superstars. So, another name that we've talked about, I feel like a million times on this podcast, with the Nets acquiring him. There's obviously some bad blood between him and Jacques Vaughn from Orlando days, but I think that could kind of get put to the side for a championship, and that'd be Mo Harkless. Yeah, I think that's the Moharkless experience in Miami. Look, he, he was usurped in the rotation by Trevor yep. Reza. That yep. tells you everything you need to know. So would you rather have Harkless or would you rather have you know, Reza? Look, I think that those two are a dime a dozen. They're essentially the same prototype of player. I think Ariza, you know, given the the vets, veteran experience and stuff, you know the the level of you know leadership you probably get from him, you might even prefer to go with Ariza. But yep. Harkless, you know, his three ball is streaky at best. Um, his defense is probably still his calling card. Um, I think that I was, if we were doing this in 2020, and we were doing this in 2020, yeah. um, you know, Mo Harkless was much higher on this list, but he certainly uh, dropped down a few rungs on the ladder. Yeah, I agree. I think obviously the fact that he couldn't have an impact in a team like Miami that gets the most out of a lot of players and then they traded him, I think, to Sacramento. It's just like, okay, you know, like maybe he's not the right guy. But again, veteran minimum at the end of the end of the bench or somebody just kind of take a flyer on. I think he does have good size and defensively and he's okay being a role player, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, if just for the the amount of puns I would be able to do, you know, how could you be Mo Harkless? You, and you know the amount of content that I would get for jokes. Um, maybe I need to be higher on the Mo Harkless experience. 
Yeah, maybe that's a real that's a real thing right there, Jack. Especially you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> what else are you thinking? I've got a couple of names here, Nick, and I'll throw one at you. Andre Iguodala. Now, the reason why I put it out there, you know, you sort of talked about two threes a little bit earlier. I think that's what Iguodala is, even though, you know, you can probably pinch it at at, at a four as well. You know, he's gotten his money. You know, (laughs) Miami's given it to him. Um, Yep, has given it to him. And he also has, you know, a, a really, really, really good relationship with Kevin Durant. And I think that you look at also, you know, leadership and, and sort of the intangibles we talked about with Jeff Green. Iguodala may even have that to a, to a greater extent. Now, I think that the one thing that he has less is basketball abilities. I don't necessarily yeah. know what he's going to provide on the court at this point in time. But as a, a locker room sort of dude, I think that that's where you're, you you sort of look at what, you know, Jamal Crawford. And I think Jamal Crawford's got a little bit more basketball skills in him. We sort of saw that before the five-minute hamstring injury, which really, really sucked. But, you know, Andre Iguodala, I think, could be a, a guy and and maybe in sort of like a, a Nicholas Batum honed-in sort of role. All we need for you is like, you know, 10 minutes of defense on Trey Young or, or whoever else it might be. And I think that, you know, just his you know, ability to create a nice, cohesive locker room, uh, you know, vet minimum, why not? Yeah, I think that's right, Jack. I think uh, if Jeff Green were to leave, this would be a guy you maybe look at a little bit more for that veteran presence in the locker room. Like you said, I think Miami depended on him a little bit too much, you know, in a smaller role, be it 10 minutes or just like spot games. I think he'd be a little bit more effective and also gives you a little bit of, you know, ball handling. Like if, you know, we got into a situation that happened last year, not to say you want him running your offense, but he's a guy that at least can dribble the ball, pass a little bit, make a couple plays. The real issue with Iguodala, like you said, is the age. You know, he's definitely not moving the same. He's about to be, I think, 38 this upcoming season. And then the three-point shooting is just like... One of the weirdest things, because you watch a game, Andre Godal hit like every three, and then he won't hit a three for like the next five games. So it's just like his offense is is not much of anything at this point, which, you know, you can get away with on the net sometimes, but it's not something you want to consistently do. So like you said, veteran minimum, end of the bench, can fill a couple different roles. I wouldn't hate it. Uh, yeah, I think his best offensive skill, funnily enough, is probably his passing. You know, yep. He's a good he's a good ball mover. Um, and, you know, as a guy, you know, if, if James, as a secondary sort of ball handler next to James Harden in, in sort of second units, um, I think would be would be decent enough. You know, in a, in a similar sort of way, I think it's probably the only thing he does better than Jeff Green, you know, is, yeah. is his ball moving and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a creative he's, passer. Yeah, um, he's a very he, smart player. Yeah, and cr- like one of the highest IQ basketball intelligence guys we've seen in, in the modern game. So, look, we're not getting Fallen's MVP, Andre Iguodala, but, you know, I think you're still getting a, a serviceable enough dude to add to whatever number in the rotation you want to put him in. Yeah, I agree, Jack. What else are you looking at? So, Nick, probably now is where I get to, like, we've talked about Tier 1, Tier 2 sort of dudes. Now it's probably, like, a sort of Tier 3. Now, I think the name that everyone um, and his every person, man, dog, and woman wants us to discuss is Carmelo Anthony, Nick. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony is a Brooklyn net, a Brooklyn legend. Thought you know, I was going to get out of this today. <laughs> the, the, the net, the, the Barclays Center legend, uh, Barclays Center meme legend, um, because we, we know what happened uh, in that Dwayne Wade final game where he was about to take that shot and then he didn't. One of the iconic memes in the, the 21st century. Carmelo Anthony is a Brooklyn net, Nick. He's, uh, are you in on it as much as probably every, 80% of Nets Twitter is? 
I am not. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some way you can convince yourself like he does still have a little bit of scoring pop. He's a solid rebounder, but defensively, he's obviously not great. He's even worse at his age now. And it's just like, I'm not sure what he provides to the Nets other than like an emergency break option. If people were to get injured and you need scoring pop, like if he's in the rotation with the superstars, it doesn't make sense. But if a superstar goes down and you need to add, you know, 10 points, you know, Carmelo could probably get you that. And his three-point yeah, shooting has improved. Yeah, he's he's a good. He's always been a good three-point shooter, an incredible shot creator. Like he, yep. uh, he's. Uh, I think that uh, we could probably hear Kevin Durant go, "Hey, Sean, get Mello, straight yeah. buckets." And I think yeah. that uh, I I think that the that sort of you know we, we've sort of seen how Kevin Durant builds teams. I've said that time and time again. You know, he values offense. And look, is Mello ever going to give us a, a level of defensive competence? No, he is a bad, if not one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And that's where the Nets really do lack. And even like, you know, we, we, we've sort of, we're, we're wondering about Blake Griffin's defense and such, but Blake Griffin is at least strong enough to be able to do stuff. And, you know, he, he knows the right matchups. Um, Melo's a better He's rebounder. more willingness too to like, throw his body for like a charge you know like Melo's not really going to do that he has not to say that he would never do that but I just think it's more of a Blake Griffin trait yeah I don't know if um I want Melo to stay Melo in Brooklyn or stay Melo in in Portland but yeah look as a guy in the rotation Nick I think that you know it might bring some new listeners to the Brooklyn buzz and I need to think about it from the content perspective and I'm not he is from Brooklyn too he is from Brooklyn, so I don't. Maybe me looking at it from a content perspective, like I was talking about with David Nwaba um, and, and and Mo Harkless, and you look at it that way rather than sort of like you know we're like Sean Marks or an assistant GM or or whatever, and like you know we need to make this team. So it's like Melo would give us some nights where like you know we'll probably he gets like twenty points and we get like yep. you know a, a solid amount of listens because people want to hear us talk about Carmelo Anthony, and you know maybe he becomes your new Mike James. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Melo. He's a great offensive player, obviously. I feel like he's a guy that probably got underappreciated during his, like, peak level because of the other great superstars in the league. So, like, I can't say I would completely hate it just because it's cool to have another former superstar on your team and, like, shit, like, you put out a lineup of Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, and Blake Griffin. That'd be, like, super lit for, like, a 25-year-old Nick or 22-year-old Nick or whatever. So, like, yeah, it's it could definitely be cool, and I think there is some things to his game where he could add, and like I said, being an option if people were to get hurt, but it's like I'm not sure he's the best fit. From a talent perspective, he's still probably one of the m- most talented free agents in terms of just like that offensive pop he can create. Yeah, that lineup you mentioned would have like an offensive rating of like 135, but would have a defensive rating of like 150. <laughs> like, Kevin Durant's the only defender there. Like, yes, Kyrie Irving, we know what he can do. And yes, James Harden's an awesome post defender, and Mello is, you know, mellow. Yeah, so it would be tough. So like, I I wouldn't rule it out, and I think there's some positives you could take of it, but he'd be a guy that you wouldn't be able to like consistently have in the rotation because there'd be issues. And I think he'd also probably have to get load managed at this point in his career. Would he be a better fit in Brooklyn or in Portland? Do you could you see what, what his what do you think his priorities are right now? Is it you know he's now going to start ring chasing? You know he's a free agent and such. And you know Portland does he show a semblance of loyalty to them because of you know they gave him the opportunity? You know Dame and, and CJ were all about it. Um, and maybe Dame gets into the year of Neil or Shea. It's like you know keep Melo for me at the very least. You know because yeah. all these other dudes suck, but you know Melo at least gives me a bucket every now and then. What do you think Melo's priorities are? Is it 
more championship or do you think it's you know a, a, a level of stability that he's gotten in Paul in the last couple of seasons? I mean, honestly, he's 37. How many years does he really have left to ring chase? I think ring chasing is probably more important at this point. And I think he's done enough to kind of establish more respect as a role player where he could intrigue contending teams. Like, I think it makes more sense for Carmelo to go to the Lakers, like just because of his relationship with LeBron and that ring chasing opportunity than it does to go to the Nets. I wouldn't rule it out, but it just seems like it makes more sense. And obviously we know it's the bad blood between D'Antoni and Anthony too. Yeah, true. So I think that there's there's a lot of differing sort of factors. You know, does he want to live in New York and Brooklyn? Would he want to live in L.A. and La La? No, L.A., not La La. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's no more. In, yeah, yeah in, in, in saying that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll have to do some form of a 45-minute show. If Kamala Anthony were to sign with the Brooklyn Nets, I'll have to dive deep into some film, which is always a, a fun experience, and try and find, you know, about one steal he's had the past. Well, you know, there was 90. a game. I can't remember if this was last year in the bubble or the postseason this year. Or this whole these last two seasons, it felt like one. I think he had like three blocks in like the matter of like six minutes or something. I was like watching a game and I was like, "What? Melo's playing defense right now?" Like he was really locked in. I think that's the problem too with him sometimes. Is like I think defensively he could be better, but he doesn't put enough effort on the end of the floor. And you know that's what talented offensive players do sometimes. Yeah, maybe you get a, a Blake Griffin level of, of competence and re-engagement. You know, there is there is a world out there where that could happen. I would not yep. be totally shocked. But, yeah, I just sort of think back to, like, when me, you, and Corey were in, like, Spotify green room and we were doing, like, a sort of live listening party, watch party, and with the, I think it was Portland Lakers or some yep. game last year, and, like, Mello was just, like, straight money and buckets yep. um, in, I think, the third quarter or something. And, look, that's always fun. And, and I think that, you know, as much as, like, you know, the Nets were to get Kamala Anthony and, you know, if Batum was still on the market and these other guys are still on the market, if, you know, he is the, as I sort of alluded to, and that's this sort of next, this final tier for me, if he, we were to get him, I'd be enthused about it. Um, I, I, I think we'd have a lot of fun um, with Kamala Anthony, but um, he's not getting number, number seven, that's for sure. Yeah, no, that's 100% sure. Uh, let's see, Jack, anybody else that you were considering? Uh, I had the Johnsons, uh, not necessarily the Johnson brothers, but James and Stanley. Now, yeah. both of these guys, again, you know, what do you get from them? I think that James Johnson would almost be just like a, what we saw with Wilson Chandler uh, as a yeah. book on that, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, I think he's also more physical. Like, his physicality level is a lot higher. He's also, like, somebody who's definitely willing to fight. He's, like, MI, <laughs> MMA pro. I think, like, everybody in the NBA is scared of him. And I think he could play a little bit of small ball five, too. Like, he's done that a little bit at different points. And maybe there's a chance he kind of pops off. Like, he was pretty good in Miami, and then his shot just completely fell off a cliff. So maybe they can kind of get back to some of that. I wouldn't hate it. Like, he would be a guy that I would add that I wouldn't want in the rotation, but a veteran minimum that could give you spot minutes at four or even at five if needed and just really gives you just like somebody who gives that to a lesser extent that like pj tucker level of physicality yeah i mean we need to complete like the the johnson trio alizé tyler james and maybe like if you get stanley johnson as well like you get like the infinity gauntlet or some shit i don't know <laughs> some marvel dc reference you, you want to make there but you know, it's johnson's a cool last name i like james more than i like stanley i think stanley just doesn't doesn't really do enough. I think defensively he was supposed to be better. He's never really been that guy. And offensively he's bad. And like he's never shown at any point to be good. Where I feel like James Johnson, not to say he's been good offensively, but he's been competent enough. Yeah, that was years ago. But still, 
like in the right role. Like he seems like the guy that would be on a championship team that could just like turn up his effort level times 20 and just be like insane in terms of just getting like those hustle plays. Yeah, and that's probably why, you know, Rondell Hollis Jefferson is also on my list because I think that, I don't know, I don't know maybe why I've always been a, a big fan of RHJ. I think I did a piece on him in like 2017 for like OGD Basketball. Yep. It's maybe why I've always <laughs> been high on him and, you know, my co-host has a hyphen as well, so maybe <laughs> I've got a, a soft spot for hyphens in my life. But yeah, I just... And maybe it's also, you know, I remember what he did against uh, Portland and, and against Damian Lillard and, you know, his level of defense. I just think that Ronald Hollis Jefferson is an NBA player and I'm, I'm almost surprised about, you know, his, you know, absence and, you know, what we saw from him in like Minnesota in the, the preseason and such. I'm like, damn, like this dude is like the best defensive player for Minnesota. And then he's just off the roster. And I'm just like, yeah. but he's like, I, I still think he has stuff to give. And like, unlike Stanley Johnson and, uh, he's, he has familiarity with the Brooklyn Nets system as well. I think he can play some small ball five. Um, obviously, if especially if he's next to Jeff Green or Kevin Durant, I think that. And then you're talking about you know Bruce Brown, you know Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I think has probably diversified himself enough to probably get to that level. I think he'd be awesome in the open court with James Harden. Like obviously, we, we, he's a little bit erratic and such, but that dude is just a, a ball of energy. And you know, I'm I'm a big fan of RHJ. Yeah, I mean, Ronda House Jefferson loved him when he was on the Nets. I think the thing with him that's like kind of surprised me to an extent with just his career trajectory is that he's never really found a way to like calm down and be under control. If he could just find like, not to say even composure, just like everything he does, like just seems so like sporadic, like full 100% all the time, that if he could just like slow his game down a touch, I feel like he could improve drastically. And I think also just. Sometimes he almost seems like a little little frazzled, like defensively, like he'll be overly aggressive and put himself in bad position. I think there are skills to his game. I wouldn't hate it, but he probably wouldn't be my first choice just because like I really just don't know what I'm getting with Rondé. Like as much as I love him and what he was with the Nets, it's just like he's so sporadic. Like he could come in the game and be that elite defender that you mentioned, or he could also give away two fouls in 40 seconds. I almost think he would be better as a Brooklyn Net now than okay maybe it's a, i think every net would be better now because they're playing with three superstars and uh, i think even just like quick thought to the head is james harden pick and roll with ronde like he can finish layups to an extent when he's on sometimes he's not yeah and i and i think that his ability i think he's always been a better role player like his skill yeah. set just screams you know high level role player and that's what the Nets need right now. And, you know, in seasons past, they've needed Ronda Hill Jefferson to be one of their second or third best players um, in certain regards. So, look, I he obviously was just before the Sean Marks tenure, which is maybe why he's he's not um, back as a Brooklyn Net. But, and, you know, he doesn't necessarily... I, I saw one of my favorite videos from an NBA player is him, like, not necessarily believing in dinosaurs or how, like, the dinosaur fossils were, were found and stuff. You know, yeah, check yeah. out... You know, um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson wilding out about uh, the, the existence of dinosaurs. Uh, a lot of fun, if um, if anything. And again, more content, Nick. I, I'm trying to think content-wise. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, bit of nostalgia element. We listened back to, you know, episode eight rather than episode 450 of the Brooklyn Buzz. And, you know, my voice is a little bit higher. Well, obviously, it's not. But, <laughs> it's you know, <laughs> where have we gone for that long? But, you know, just yeah, get a bit nostalgic. And, you know, maybe we could do some <clears throat> revisited episodes and, 
you know, get post some cool clips of of us, you know, reliving the the good old days. They're not the good old days. They're, they're good days right now, to be honest. Yeah, the good old days are really about to come this upcoming season. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. Like he's a guy. I think at the end of the bench, you could do worse than him. So it's not like he's my first choice, but. I think there's just some questions about him and I'm not sure his Nets tenure end ended like crispy. I don't have anything to report, but I just have just a little bit of a vibe on that. Um, another guy at the end of the bench would be like Solomon Hill. Don't really love him. Doesn't really do much offensively. He's just kind of LeBron stopper. Yeah. I mean, he can play. I mean, literally stopped his ankle, but <laughs> that was a little bit too much. This is a weird name that I really didn't think about going in, but I just popped up in my head is Zach Collins on like a veteran minimum deal. Another guy though, that can't stay healthy, but when he is healthy, very talented and could fill in that four and five type of spot, kind of more so a, probably in the center talk rather than the four talk, but just kind of hit the head real quick. Yeah. I think he, uh, uh, the upside is sort of like, you know, what we're talking about with, with some of these younger dudes on this list, Tory Craig and um, Otto Porter Jr. And such, you know, the, the upside is immense for Zach Collins, but I think that the amount of opportunities he would get to showcase his skill set. Yeah. Um, would be limited in a situation like Brooklyn, but you know, um, um, if the Nets could somehow snag him, um, that'd be a, a big get. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like he feels like he almost needs an entire season to just like get his body right because it's just like been back to back to back injuries. I've really liked his game when he was actually playing, but um, it's just been rare to see that lately. Any yeah. other names you got, Jack? I've got. Two, three, three. One name that Corey Waldron of the outlet and full access spaces probably can't say. Nemanja Bialica. And I don't think actually Bill Simmons can say his name either. I always hear him like call him Bijalika or something. But yeah, um, obviously he was in Miami and his three-point shooting went off a cliff for some reason. Yeah. But in a that's his prime skill. His prime yep. skill is small ball five, three-point shooting. You know, I'm, I think, you know, I'm sure Mark always does has had a, a little bit of a thing for, you know, international European dudes. They ne- haven't necessarily worked out to the greatest extent, um, a la Jana Musa and Rodion Skurutz. Uh, but maybe Nemanja Bialica. Right yeah, That's some extra listeners. <laughs> there we go. Come on. Um, about Russia. I don't know what country. Uh, Latvia? Is, is Rodion's Latvian? Yep, yep, yep. Because of the Porzingis tie. Um, and is Musa Russian or Serbian? No, yeah. Um, Damn, he's from like a really small country, but I think he reps reps like, oh man, maybe he's from the same spot Mirza Toledovic is from. Bonzi? Oh no! Uh, what the? F- nah, no, no, you gotta look it up, his, Jack. I, or else, um, all of our listeners from whichever country I'm trying to think of are gonna desert us, and you know we love all the listeners of the uh, Bosnia, Bosnia. Okay. I was kind of close. I didn't, wasn't sure exactly what it was, but there we go. I think Mirza Toledovic is from there as well. They're yeah, like, I mean. A lot of from that sort of range of you know Latvia, Serbia. We know how great Nikola Jokic is. There's some really quality basketball talent there, and maybe the Nets. Maybe we haven't discussed uh, enough about Janan Musa and Rodion Skurts on this list, Nick. But no, I think that um, that's a discussion for another day, and maybe you know a Patreon that no one will subscribe to. But a, a name that I did obviously we know about. Do you have any thoughts, I guess, on Bielitsa before I move on to two of my final names? Not really. I mean, like you kind of said, Jack does have the three point shot when it's on defensively, not very good. Like, honestly, the memory that I have in my head for Bielitsa is the Nets cooking the Kings to come back in that comeback victory and D'Angelo Russell scoring on him at the rim multiple times. So that's just like, okay, no disrespect to D'Lo, but not a great finisher inside against contact. And if Bielitsa can't stop him, then who is he really stopping? Obviously, that was years ago, but. He's, he's gotten better defensively, Nick. You know, he's learned a lot from Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley. 
would begin a defensive stopper in Brooklyn. No, there's no chance of that. But you know, the final two names I had, Nick, were Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and Mike Scott. Okay, I got one more. Semi Ojale. Yeah, but I mean, again, we're in tier three. We'll yeah, we're in tier... fire territory here. Yeah, th- these are guys that are number 12 in the rotation. So I guess discuss, rank those three for me, Nick. So Semi Ojale, Mike Scott, and Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, um, they all aren't very good. They all, <laughs> they all shouldn't be in your playoff rotation. Mike Scott has hit a big three against the Nets in the postseason. That one was very painful. I think um, he was also texting on the. And I look, no, I no, that, text- that was Amir Johnson. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, but um, I'm trying to think like what what each can brought. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like no, I just couldn't stand watching that shot on a regular basis. So he's automatically going to the bottom for just my viewing pleasure. Mike Scott is probably the most competent in terms of like both ends of the floor. Semi Ojale, I think defensively can do some things, but has a fouling problem and offensively hasn't really developed months. I think I would probably take Semi just because I want someone to throw at Giannis and that's like actually stronger than him. And I think Semi Ojale is like one of the few forwards in the NBA that probably could fit that or at least match up to him to an extent. Like he's not going to stop him, but he just gives you some of that bulkiness. So there's like, I don't want to say it's an elite skill, but it's a good skill he has where the other guys. They, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist has bounced around, and Mike Scott hasn't even really didn't even really play last year. Yeah, Semi is like thick. Like that dude yeah. is like thick with the capital T H I. He's like thick C. for uh, NFL player. For like, he's just built. Like he's just a big dude. Yeah, and, and I think you know if you have Semi Ojale and Bruce Brown out there, <laughs> thickness levels and swollenness levels are on a, a, a next level. I, look, I think Semi has something. Whereas I don't think any either of these other guys. I think Michael Kidd Gilchrist, the version of defense, and we sort of talked about, you know, three D, three or D. You know, he's just D, and I don't yeah. even know how high that level of D is these days. I need to stop saying D, um, but <laughs> I'll just say defense. Um, but in in saying that, for for content purposes as well, Nick Semi Ojale, Celtics Lab cross, crossover, I think we'd be able to get some decent content there as well. Yeah, I think the one thing that you say about Semi that like would concern you is Boston was terrible last year. They had a ton of injuries and their depth, and he couldn't even get on the floor. You know what I mean? Like I think he was partial. Like he was one of the guys that might have had COVID as well. But still, I think the one thing that makes you feel okay, like could Semi Ojale develop into a PJ Tucker? Like that'd be something. Not to say like maybe to the fullest extent, but corner threes and defense. Like could that be him? I think that's all he really shoots is corner threes. I'd have to look at his shot chart, but. Just watching him, that's what it feels like. Yeah, maybe you could be a semi version of PJ Tucker. <laughs> there we go. I'm, I'm all in on semi Ojale. I could make a lot of semi jokes over 82 games. So maybe that could be it. Uh, anybody else that missed? Actually, Jack, I have one more name that actually is a good player. Reggie Bullock. That would be more of a taxpayer mid-level exception. That's why I didn't mention it before. But just if it got to it or maybe he signed a veteran minimum, I think he's a solid two-way a role player. Nah, big 15. He ain't going to fit on the roster. Nah. <laughs> um, I, I had him on my list as well, but I sort of, in a similar way with Jermichael Green, didn't necessarily see it happening because I think that his season with New York was really, really good. Yeah. And I think he is the. I think his three-point shooting was was great. Um, he's a, a pretty good defender as well. Um, but it's very rare we see guys who sort of develop some sort of Knicks allegiance, you know, go to, you know, across the bridge to the better basketball team in the black and white. Yeah, he might actually want to win championships instead of one playoff game, but that's, <laughs> that's just I mean, me. When the reliability of uh, Julius Randle and Kevin Durant, I don't know who you're taking, Nick. Uh, yeah. 
Who, who yeah. knows? Did Julius Randle make the All NBA team? By the way, he did. He did. I think he actually made second team, which was kind of crazy. But yeah, no, Kevin Durant didn't. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Uh, I can't think of it. There's a couple more names that we possibly could talk about, but they're really just flyers at this point. Like Isaac Bonga is a guy that I've always loved for some reason. Uh, um, you know, there's just a couple more names, but I don't think they're really relevant. But uh, Jack, anything else you want to discuss on this topic? Um, look, Nick, there's uh, we're we're scrapping, scraping the the bottom of the barrel. Trey Lyles. I'm literally just scrolling through the names. That was that like are a on. net sweetheart for a while. Like for Nets Twitter, they really want to Trey Lyles, yeah. but. He was. He just has not been good. No disrespect to him. He just feels like a guy that if he got in better NBA shape, he might be able to take another level in his game. But that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, is Dante Hall, is that former Nets great Dante yeah, yeah. I see on this list? Yeah. I mean, how is he not still a Brooklyn net? Orlando, give us back our dude, the Giannis Stopper. We're talking about semi Ojale as a Giannis Stopper, Nick. Dante Hall, throw him out there. But yes, please. Yeah. He probably stop him another way. He might just punch him right in the face. <laughs> Absolutely, I could see, I could see Dante Hall in like a, a Thanasis under the combo sort of role. Throw him out there for like a minute and just be like an annoying, annoying. Yeah. sort of dude. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm given some time removed from that Buck series. Um, I'm, in, I'm a bit. Um, I've warmed to the Ante Kumpo family, um, but you know, come the regular season, the heat is back on, and we know how good Dante Hall is at stopping that Greek freak. Yeah, I can't say I feel the same way. I feel like Giannis has been talking a little bit of subliminal shit uh, with some of his comments, but uh, we'll save that for another day. Jack, if you had to give me like the your ranking of maybe your top three, excluding Jeff Green, what would it be? I had to be Nicholas Batum, Nick. I think he's probably 1A almost by himself. Yeah. Uh, Otto Porter Jr., I think would be uh, a rung below that, and just literally scrolling through my names here, I'm, and like, and, and Rudy Gay, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I think that any when you, it's almost like we were talking about like tears before, and like you know we talked about you know Paul Millsap and all these sort of guys. I honestly think that Batum is maybe the best player available, also the best fit for the Brooklyn Nets, and the other guys have you know. Uh, you know, a here or there. You know, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily like, you know, okay, I know what I'm going to get from Rudy Gay. I know what I'm going to get from Otto Porter Jr. We've discussed all those guys at length. So I think that those are my top three. I'm not sure if you have a, a different list. Yeah, I think I'd probably be the same, Jack. I might swap Rudy Gay and Otto Porter just because I have no idea if Otto Porter can play more than 25% of the season. If he did, you know, he might be a better option. But I'd argue, too, that Batum and Gay give you a little bit more versatility in terms of being able to play bigger, where I feel like Porter would have a better chance of almost playing down. And he played a little bit of two when he was with Washington at different points, when he was first drafted, because he's just very skinny. Yeah, a lot of versatility. And I will say that it was very hard to leave Dante Hall out of my top three. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. Jack, all right, one more question. I know we're we're scraping right here. But uh, Nets re-sign Jeff Green, Batum they can't re-sign because he's taxpayer mid-level and they're going to give taxpayer to Jeff Green, let's say. Who's the guy you want them to target to complement the Jeff Green skill set? Oh, it's Carmelo Anthony. No, it's not Carmelo <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people would want Carmelo Anthony. Look, you don't need a lot if you've got Jeff Green. So probably Trevor Ariza, I would say, Nick. I mean, Ariza or Craig. I think that Craig is almost like a a more 
physically healthy version of Otto Porter Jr. in terms yep. of like you know, young guy. I think his defensive versatility is probably the best. Ariz is probably the most you know serviceable, reliable. Um, and also has a, a decent relationship, obviously, with James Harden, Mike D'Antoni. And I think that that matters. I think that we've sort of seen that the the Brooklyn Nets family and the connections that are made there, um, that's why I think, you know, Ariza might be not necessarily have a Jeff Green sort of season, but would be a better version of the Miami and maybe somewhere near what he showed a little bit in Portland before, you know, he had to leave, um, before he, he had to leave that organization as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there there's some great choices. I mean, you could go with honestly a lot of different names because, like you said, Jeff Green would be the guy that you want to bring back. I would maybe feel more comfortable taking the risk on Otto Porter at that point because I know how durable Jeff Green's been majority of you know recently with the Nets last year. Um, I could also just I I don't know I I have like some fixation with Rudy Gay for some reason that I just like I just feel like he can do some things and I just feel like he's the type of guy that's ready for that championship team to really like adapt his role because like you mentioned earlier with the Spurs he was willing to adapt on just to make the playoffs like what would he be willing to do to win a championship and I think honestly you know Otto Porter might be more talented but you could argue that Rudy Gay might be the most talented guy that's not you know the star level or like true tier one free agent agreed I would say he'd, he'd be him and Batum are probably one and two on this list in terms of guys that like you know can hit a bucket can play a decent level of defense can rebound the ball can pass it a little bit yep. dual I like like I always say are basketballers you know I'm not doing the basketball or hoopers conversation here on the book and bars that's uh, that's for Twitter and Twitter spaces but yeah I think that I would I would be most happy if the Nets were to have two wings heading into next season, yep. two backup wings, rather than like three million guards, guards that are under six foot three. Yeah, especially if some of these wings have versatility to their game where they can handle the ball a little bit, play make, you know, let's say they got three wings and the third one was Andre Godala, who wasn't really going to play, but then he gives you, you know, honestly could give you a little of a backup point guard minutes in terms of like that third string thing if you really got caught in a, a pinch. But Jack, I guess I'll ask you again, anything else? I'm sort of just saying in, in relation to that and piggybacking off your thoughts, Nick, you know, if you give me Craig or Nawaba or Iguodala or PJ Tucker, even in a world where he comes to the Brooklyn Nets, I think that those guys are just better fits in Brooklyn right now than you know, Tyler Johnson, Mike James, Chris Chioza, um, those sort of guys. And because right now the wing depth is Kevin Durant, Jeff Green and Alize Johnson. That's what yeah. the wing, the, the the genuine wings that are currently on on the Brooklyn Nets roster. You know, Joe Harris obviously has played two, three, and four throughout the season and throughout his career. But as you know, actual wing capable players and actually guys that are six foot eight and above, um, I, I I think that the having a bit of depth there certainly couldn't hurt. And you know, it's it's Jeff Green insurance, it's Kevin Durant insurance, it's whatever insurance. Having wings is a is an important position in the modern NBA. And given where your stars are and their skill sets, the wings make more sense because, you know, knock on wood, we don't want to see multiple stars go down. But in a situation where, you know, Kyrie Irving gets hurt and you still have James Harden and Kevin Durant, it's easier to swing in a wing right there. And then you also have guards that are competent, like Joe Harris didn't play well in the postseason. We would hope he'd bounce back if he's on the Nets next year. But you also have Landry Shaman, who's would hopefully improve going to the season more playoff experience i think him putting on a little bit more size and developing his point guard skills too could be something so and just because of the teams you're going to match up with and you don't want to tire kevin Durant out with asking him to be your best defender and best offensive player but jack i think we covered you know free agent target forwards pretty damn well um appreciate everybody listening jack always a pleasure and check out the buzz on all stream platforms
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.